So we spent a few weeks here with Jesus in the temple. He has been really rocking the boat, pressing in to kind of really challenge the leaders of those days and thereby challenge us today in terms of the temple of today. Um, who really is in charge? What tables need to be pushed over? Um, this week, I think he turns from the negative more to the positive. In other words, in the in the past weeks, it's like, what should I not be doing? This is more of a positive of, okay, what should I do be doing? What is, you know, he's been clearing out what's bad. Now what needs to be put back in? What needs to be loaded in? What does that look like? Um, so that's what that pa this passage is here. And I would summarize it with this. What is the most important rule to God? Now, the first section that happens is Jesus has this interaction with these guys known as the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, that's just a title for a group of Pharisees that believe a certain uh, uh, theology within the larger uh, Jewish world at the time. The Sadducees were a pretty small group. Um, the Pharisees were a much larger group, and you would consider the Pharisees much more in the, the mainstream, if you will, of the Jewish thinking at the time. The Sad we know very little about, about the Sadducees. Um, Josephus, a Jewish historian um, from early, early on, uh, wrote a little bit about them, but there's nothing surviving of their writings to today. Uh, in contrast to the Pharisees, who we know a significant about significant about them because of what the Bible's written, but also extra biblical things. Um, what we do know is like the Sadducees, like here, they didn't believe in the, in the resurrection. Um, they didn't believe in spirits or souls. They didn't believe in angels, like any kind of spirit world that would be after this life. Basically, they thought if you died, that's it. You're done. Um, and uh, so, uh, the thing that I really wanted to, I guess, call out, and I think the reason why we have this here in Mark is that, you know, there are always things and there have always been things that have kind of that are competing from what's most important. And uh, one of the things that I often see within the Christian world and I've experienced in my own life is that um, we will um, major in the minors, if you will. So, um We'll have theological debates or or philosophical discussions, and I and I enjoy that as much as anybody. And I think there is a place for the academic when it comes to scripture, but if the academic never really impacts the way I live my life and the way I think, then what's the value? What's the importance of it? And I think Jesus is calling out these Sadducees in a similar kind of way. They come to him with this absurd. Uh, argument. They probably use this argument a lot because in the Jewish law, um, in the for ancient ancient Israel, God had this requirement for if a husband died and his he and his wife hadn't had kids and the brother had to marry. It's like this long thing. I won't get into all that detail. And then they say, okay, then at the resurrection, supposedly that happens. Whose wife is this woman going to be if she's been you know in a series married to all these brothers? And Jesus answers. With this summary, he says, is this not the reason you're wrong? And he gives them two things. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In other words, you guys are ignorant of two very significant things. 
Um, and that's something that I think is super common even today, not necessarily among people who think this way, but but in lots of other ways. You know, like in my Bible, um, my, my publisher is, has made all of the words of Jesus read. And there's kinds of Christians out there that call themselves red letter Christians and what they mean by that. And that there's lots of different variations. So forgive me if I'm mischaracterizing you if you think this way. But what they mean by that is that they take more, more seriousness the text that Jesus spoke versus the text that Jesus didn't speak. And um, there are tons of like really serious problems with that. Um, but one example that I've often seen from people that think that way is they'll say something like, well, the God of the Old Testament is mean and angry uh, and wrathful. And the God of the New Testament is merciful and kind and loving. And so they would say, I like the God of the New Testament more than the God of the Old Testament. And, and it's super problematic because obviously that means you haven't read much of the Old Testament because the God of the Old Testament is incredibly merciful, is incredibly gracious. He is, he is so long-suffering and patient with people. And then in contrast, in the New Testament, it's like, have you not read in Revelation, you know, that it's Jesus that comes back to make to, to, to bring judgment? And by the way, if you were to um, remove all of the words of Jesus from the New Testament, we would have hardly inform any information about judgment. In other words, he speaks most of the words about God's judgment. And bottom line, uh, People who say that they haven't actually read the scripture much. And then this other idea about the power of God. You know, Thomas Jefferson is famous because he took his Bible. There's a Thomas Jefferson Bible where he went through and he cut out all of the things that are miraculous because he didn't believe that it's possible for there to be miracles. And, and, and the way that I would think about both those things is, that, okay, so it's like, do we really know the scripture? Do we know what it's actually saying before we're commenting on it? And do we really believe that God is powerful, that he is God? Guys, if, if either of those things are not true, if I can't believe that this is God's scripture, and if I can't believe that God is God, then what I'm doing right now as a pastor, and I mean, it's like, it's a complete waste. I don't want to be a part of something that isn't real. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't, you might not have, you might have some real questions about scripture and that's good. Ask those questions, pursue them, but don't just take it flippantly, which is what a lot of people seem to do. They just kind of like, they may have an opinion. They say something about the Bible, but it's pretty obvious that they actually haven't studied it themselves. And, and if God isn't God, then what are we doing here? Right. And, and, and that takes us to Jesus really zeroes it in in this next section that I think is 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 um, meant to help focus us too on like, OK, so we want to run out certain things that are happening in our life. But what should we backfill in? What should our life be defined by? And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, 
which commandment is the most important of all? And I think that we're seeing, and there's implications here, and we see it later in Jesus' response, that this scribe is asking his question more honestly. He's not trying to trap him. He's, he's genuinely asking and seeking Jesus. And so there's a different tone with him and also in Jesus' response. And Jesus answered, the most important is, now keep this in mind, is that he asked a relative question Jesus starts off by giving him a relative answer. In other words, he, he's not asking Jesus, what should we throw out? He's saying, what should be, what's the order? What's the most important of all the 600 some laws that uh, are in the Old Testament? Which one is the most important, teacher? And Jesus answered me, quotes from Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, and then he quotes from Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And I've heard it said before that not only do these define everything about the Bible, love, love for God, love for others, but basically the rest is commentary on these two laws. So in other words, how do I love God? Um, what is not loving God? What, you know, wh who's my neighbor? Um, how do I love them? What is how do I love people as I love myself? Those are all questions that the rest of it gets into, you know, just in a broad, broad, from a broad standpoint. And the scri scribe responded to him and said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, God, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Keep in mind that they're at the temple. The burnt offerings and the sacrifices that God commanded, in other words, those are part of those 600-some commandments that he gave to ancient Israel. They're in that temple complex for the purpose of this. They are saying that loving God and loving people is above importance of, we'll call it, church activity. Doing the, you know, I've heard it described as churchianity, putting on the show. You know, I'm going to close my eyes when I'm singing and I'm going to try to say a very inspirational prayer that impresses other people. But meanwhile, the rest of the week, I'm not going to love God. I'm going to love my money. I'm going to love uh, my, my status. I'm going to love uh, my influence and power and whatever it might be. Those are the things that get to be first. <clears throat> and then it goes on. Jesus saw that he had answered wisely and he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more question. Remember that we've been talking about how Mark is like an invasion story. It's a peaceful invasion by another king from another kingdom. And he is peacefully asking and inviting us to join his kingdom. And he's telling us that the number one defining characteristic of his followers, people in his kingdom, is love. My love for God and my love for other people. That is at the core 
of what we believe and what we're positively supposed to be doing with our life. And I think it's important too that we've seen all these statements about you know the relative importance, like what's most important. He puts loving God first. And I think the reason for that is that our love for God is like a, uh, a way to calibrate everything that comes after it. If we have put something like money at the top of our uh, love uh, ladder, if you will, like what, what gets my first? What, what is, has my heart most? What do I pursue? What, what helps me make my decisions? Where do I find my hope? All those kinds of things are answers to what's first in my life. If that's something like money, then it skews everything after that. You know, I can't be generous with somebody that might need it because I gotta hold this money for my little plan over here. Or, uh, you know, if, if I don't earn this money, if I don't work for this money, um, then I'm not gonna be able to live the lifestyle that I wanna live. And we're willing to sacrifice our children, sacrifice other relationships in our life because we're pursuing that. The love for God, when he gets all of it, when that is first, it calibrates the rest of my loves. And it puts them in the right and proper order. And I think it sets them all in the right. I mean, like not only calibrates the order, but it also calibrates kind of the tone. And in other words, like, okay, when I see the amount that God has loved me by going to the cross on my behalf, that's a love that I can then model to the people around me. I can love them with that same kind of sacrificial love where I realize that, okay, you are more important than what I desire. So I'm going to lay down what I want for what's good for you. And, and, and guys, I want us as a church to be a church that is defined by our love for one another. And that starts with our love for God. Are there other things that I'm loving that I need to like, okay, admit that I love money more than I love God. I love what people think of me more than I love God. I love um, my accomplishments or my work or whatever it might be. I've put that above God in a place where he really is more just a show. He, he, he's just the, the offerings and the sacrifices as it's mentioned there. It's, it's an impressive thing maybe. He's really not first. He has to be first in order for my love to be calibrated correctly and for the tone of my love to, to interact with other people properly as well. Um, so let's, let's dig into like what are the things that I love more than God that I need to kind of set aside and push, push away to let him be my first and only love of my life.